or excuse me, on Wednesday nights. This is Wednesday. And um, because I've, we've taken some time and we've gone through some different things on Sunday mornings. Anyhow, uh, I want to tonight uh, look at this passage that we're going to see here tonight in Colossians chapter 3, verses 17 through uh, chapter 4 and verse number 1 as a whole, as one unit here this evening. And um, we're going to see a message that I've entitled, From the Heart, From the Heart, and that we do things that are as unto the Lord heartily, as unto the Lord, as unto the Lord. If you've been away from us for a little while, or if you just are honest and you just simply don't remember, uh, Colossians is a, an epistle that is written about one really purpose, and that is the preeminence of Christ, that Christ is first place, and there is no other place. Um, if you will, it would be like an Olympic Games, but yet there's only one person on the podium. Does that make sense? And it's Christ. There's not a second place or a third place. There's no bronze medal or silver medal with Jesus. There's only one medal, and it's the gold medal. It's Christ. It's him. There's nobody else. There's only one person that gets to wear the crown in heaven. Amen? Uh, and that's the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Even the crowns that we will receive, we find out in Revelation 4, that we'll cast at his feet. And so uh, there's only one with a crown, and that is our Lord. And so we ought to serve him with that thought in mind, with a thought that he is preeminent, preeminent. Um, you found your Bibles there in Colossians 3, verse 17. Let's take a little time to read down to verse four, chapter 4, verse number 1. It says here now, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. I skipped down to verse number chapter 4 because I just wanted you to see the continuation of that. Uh, it makes a lot of sense to us when we can see those four or six words in a row right there. Uh, wives, husbands, children, servant, our fathers, servants, and then he concludes with masters. Now let's go back to verse 23. And whatsoever you do, he says, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. That's where I get my title from tonight, that word heartily. It means out of the heart or from the heart is what it means. Out of the heart. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. You know, when I read these verses, you have to consider that one of the things in America today, and in our society, and in our culture, and even in the world, um, when I went to Guyana, I noticed that even more that one of the things that is in great disarray and is in bad shape in our whole entire culture and society and world is the family. The family is in a terrible place, and the numbers are staggering. Whenever you just sit down and begin to read the divorce rates, the child abuse, the runaways, spousal abuse, 
drug abuse. Uh, when you read these things, when you read these numbers, you begin to see that old saying, as goes the family, so goes the nation. As goes the family, so goes the nation. And the sad shape that, that any nation is, but our nation especially is in, is because of the homes that are inside of that nation. A nation can, know, can never progress any higher than the homes that make up that nation. So, the further that the homes of the nation sink into the depravity of sin and the depths of sin, so the lower a nation will sink into the depravity and the depths of sin also. It just runs its natural course because the very first establishment that God gave whenever he established mankind upon the face of the earth and in the book of Genesis chapter number 2, he's established the home. That was the first thing that he established. His first establishment, his first institution, if you will, was in the beginning of time in Genesis chapter number 2. It was there that Adam himself said, for a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. It was there that God spoke to Adam and Eve and he told them to be fruitful and multiply, he told them. It was in the book of Malachi that it was told to us that one of the reasons for uh, these people that were serving God and going after God was so that they might raise up a godly seed to serve the Lord. But we know that sin wrecked God's original plan, amen? And that is seen very quickly because you find a great animosity and hatred being taken place between one brother and another. Cain hating his brother Abel and therefore killing his brother Abel because of great envy and hate that he had in his heart towards him. And so the downward trend begins. It begins even in the very beginning of God's holy word. But aren't you glad that God has sent his son Jesus Christ. Amen. To give us all new beginnings. God has sent his son Jesus Christ to give us a new beginning in Jesus. And the gospel of Jesus Christ now instructs us differently and instructs us how to live in the world that we're set in today. But God, don't think that God was not caring or didn't want to give instruction to the earlier world either because he was very clear to the, in the, book of Mo, in the book, books of Moses how the children of Israel should raise their children, how they should grow them up in the Lord, and how they should treat one another. Many laws that served those people for many years, but I'm glad there's a new law that's coming to us, a new word, and it's found here in our New Testament that lets us know how we as Christians are to live as Christ is preeminent. And tonight we're going to see how that works itself out practically, both in the home and in the workplace. And it does. And we ought to be able to show out Christ in our lives, both at home and at work. Or wherever we go, wherever we're at in life, Christ ought to be preeminent. And when he is preeminent, then others can see that. And they can see there's something different about us. And one of the greatest steps we can take in this Christian life in making Christ preeminent is this, is by deciding to have godly homes. That's a way in which we can decide now in order to have Christ preeminent is to make sure that our homes 
are godly. And we work towards that goal. We move towards that goal. And so tonight we're going to see just these six principles that are laid out for us in the Word of God. And I said the word six. Yes, I know. It's always frightening when a preacher says six points on a, on a Wednesday night. But I'm not here to necessarily preach in depth on these particular matters. I hope to do that some other time. But I want to just hit these as just as it is, almost as it is right here in the book of Colossians. How quick he does here. For as you even see in verse number 18, it just says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against And so on. I mean, it's just real quick bullet points. And so that's kind of what you're going to get tonight, just to kind of give you some idea of where we're going with this. And so let us notice these six principles that Paul lays out for us and how we can make Christ preeminent both at home and in the workplace. Number one is the first point that Paul gives to us in verse number 18, and it's concerning the wives. Wives, submit. If you want to write these down, they're real simple points. Wives, submit. Husbands, love. Children's, children, obey. You'll find it real simple as we go through these points here tonight. But number one, wives, submit. Simply put, what does the word submit mean? It simply means that you place yourself under the authority of your husband. Or you might even say it like this. Place yourself in the order in which God designed you to be as a wife. Now, many people say, well, that's just kind of old-fashioned preacher. That's kind of old-fashioned uh, preaching to talk about uh, wives submit yourselves unto your old hu- own husbands. Well, it's about as old-fashioned as the Bible. That's about how old-fashioned it is. I mean, uh, it's, and so if, you don't, if you've got a problem with, the, with what that means, you've got a problem with God, and you've got a problem with the Word of God, whenever our 21st century thinking contradicts what the Bible says, Guess what's wrong? Our 21st century modern thinking, right? It's not the Word of God. The Word of God is not wrong. Now, the problem is this, is that people have distorted this particular statement right here. At one time, men distorted it in a very ungodly way. But the word submit is a very interesting one. It's a military term. It's a military term that means to, means to place in rank and file is what it means. Think about it like this. If you have a private and a colonel and a, and a troop, all right, and you've got both of those men there, is one of those men, if taken out of that army, is one of them greater than the other one? No. One man is not greater than the other one. One man is not better than the other one. It's just that one is a colonel and one is a private. In order to have a good structural army, that you must have rank and file. You must have somebody that's giving commands and you must have somebody that's taking orders. And that's just simply the way that God ordains for the family to work. And you see that perfectly laid out in, guess where? None other than the book of... Genesis, right? I mean, what happens in the book of Genesis? Uh, God created who first? Adam, yes. He created man first. And in the order of creation, man was created first and then the woman. And then the woman. And so just in its simple order, it lets us know why wives submit themselves unto their own husbands. But secondly, the particular thing of submission, I believe, was increased by the fall. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 17 outlines that perfectly, where it says, no longer does he say, it says, it actually puts it a little bit sterner. It says, it says to, and your husband shall rule over you. 
there was a particular thing in the curse. Not only did wives uh, have to experience a great amount of pain during childbirth, but there was also, it seems to be, that before uh, the fall, that God had intended childbirth to be without pain. <laughs> Amen. Some of that, wouldn't that have been great? Amen. But because of the fall, we understand that that did not happen. But also in the fall, the woman was deceived, therefore the man was to have the rule over her. Now, of course, sinful man took that to an extreme and has taken that to extremes, no doubt. But the point being is this, is that God ordered that the man be the head of the home. Now, understand this too, that when you say wives submit, it is not wives be slaves. Amen? Do you know that all of us are only slaves to one master? Christ. For one is your master, even Christ. That is it. There's nobody else to be your master here this evening. The only one that is, is, is your master is Christ. For it says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is what? Fit in the Lord. As it is fit in the Lord. Anything that Jesus would ask you to do, you should immediately do it, right? There should be no question at all if God told you to do something, if God asked you to do something, if Christ told you to do something, we would we'd say, yes, we should do it. But should, we, should wives have that kind of submission or slavery, you might say, to their own husbands? You say, what if they ask them to do something evil, something wrong, something ungodly, something wicked? No. Why? Because their first, or all of our first line of subjection goes through Christ. But that does not mean whatsoever that a woman does not ever submit herself unto her own husband. In fact, that is to be the norm. Submission does not point to dictatorship, it points to headship. It points to headship. It's just pointing to the fact that, yes, there is one that is the head, one that is the head. As Adrian Rogers said uh, about a hundred different times, I've heard him preach, he, said, he always says, anything with no head is dead, and anything with two heads is a monster. So you see that tonight we can't have two heads in the home. There's only one head, and that is the man. That's not up to me. That's up to God. God decided that. Whenever a wife confuses this order, then you get situations like Adam and Eve. Eve, really, when you think about it, Eve committed the original sin, did she not? She was deceived. She took it. And what was her original sin? Her original sin was this. She got out of her place. She should have gone to Adam and asked Adam about this thing. But what did she do? She took of the fruit, she ate of it, and then she gave it to her, and then she gave it unto her own husband. She put herself out of her own place there. And whenever that happened, think about the story of Sarah and, Sarah and, 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 uh, and Abraham. There again, there's, there she is. She comes up. Now, no doubt, in 1 Peter chapter number 3, Sarah is lifted up as a wonderful woman and an example there. But in that instance there... And it could be said many times over that this became, can become a confusion, not only to the home, but to the children, whenever there's two heads in a home. Or you have the woman that wants to be a head too. I could say much more to this, especially towards the man. And sadly, sometimes that a man will relegate or give over his duties uh, to his wife because he's just simply lazy. And that's wrong too. And that's wrong in itself. Men need to be men and men need to be leaders in their home. And wives, it says, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. To your own husbands. I always thought that was interesting. 
to your own husbands. I'm not the husband of your wife, all right? You're the husband of your own wife. And your, 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 wife, is, uh, your, your wife is your wife, and, you, and she submits to you. Let that be the case. Wives submit. Number two, husbands love. Now, God always deals in this way, does he not? This is very interesting to me. Whenever you study the scriptures out, notice how God always gives us both sides. You know, in the world today is that, and in many places, people would say, well, it's, you're just so hard on these women. But God is always hard on the men too. It always goes both ways. God is, God's directions and God's instructions and God's word is to both man and to woman, both to husband and to wife, both to father and to children, both to master and to slave, he even talks about here in just a moment. But here in this case here, he tells us that, uh, that, in, uh, that husbands ought to love your wives and be not bitter against them. Why? Because you are the head of the home as Christ is the head of the church. As Christ loves the church, so ought the husband ought to love his wife. He ought to sacrifice for her. He ought to give up his life for her. Why is that? Because her body is his body. That's what it says in the book of Ephesians. His body is your, her body is your body. You ought to nourish. No man doth not, doesn't, doesn't nourish or cherish this his, his own body. Every man takes in his own, he takes care of his own flesh. He washes himself, he eats, he takes care of himself. You know what? That's what a man ought to do for his wife. It's the same thing. Husbands, love your wives as your own body. As your own body. Or you might even say it like this, because she is your body. She is your body. And the relationship is proven out for us in Ephesians chapter 5. Again, I'm not here to deal with these things in detail tonight. We could go much deeper into these things. But the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He ought to treat her as such. Anything he wouldn't, let me just read it because I can't say it. He, anything he wouldn't want done to himself so he shouldn't do to his wife. Does that make sense? Anything that he wouldn't want done to himself, he shouldn't do to his wife. And his love ought to grow. It cannot be expected that a man would love his wife as much as he does uh, on the first day of marriage as 30 years from now. He should love her more 30 years from now. Amen? I mean, he should love it. It seems like sometimes that, a, that, that, that you know, a man knows everything about his wife, everything about this girl that he's about to marry. I mean, he just loves her, wants to talk to her, wants to get, uh, spend time with her. And then five years after they're married, it seems like they don't know each other. That's not all they ought to be. They, this is a love that grows. It grows with one another. You hear of marriages collapsing after 30, 40, sometimes even 50 years. What happened is this, is that love never grew. And what happened was this, is what happens was Christ naturally, whenever your love doesn't grow for your wife, it says in verse number 19, and be not bitter against them. That is what happens. Bitterness happens. And we're warned against this. Be careful with this. How do you confront this? Be upfront and honest. Don't let anger go unsettled. Talk it out. Don't try to manipulate. The husband is not to throw his wife, throw his, throw his wife around. No, definitely not supposed to throw his wife around. Throw his weight around in the home and everything. Uh, Lord help us. No, we're not supposed to throw our wives around, okay? Pray for her. Amen? Pray for her. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit. Husbands, love. Children, obey. He says in verse number 19, he says, or verse number 20, children, obey your parents in all th- 
things, for this is well-pleasing in the Lord. He moves on quite naturally to the very next thing. Parents have children, and children are given an instruction to obey mom and dad. They're given this particular instruction. And this is a command to do in all things. Again, this is a connection with the Lord. Of course, a child would not obey his, uh, his parent if they were asking him to do something ungodly or evil. But I believe this situation to be very rare, especially in truly Christian homes. Remember what this epistle is written to. This epistle is written to Christians. All right? We're not trying to... You know, you wouldn't go to your unsaved, ungodly friends and be like, okay, we're having a marriage issue. Okay, well, let's open up the Bible to Colossians 3 and let's see how you're supposed to treat your wife and treat your husband, all right? You wouldn't want to do that, okay? You say, why? Because they need to get saved. You'd say, you know what we need to do? How about we first talk to you about John 3.16? You know? That's where it really needs it. If you're dealing with an unsaved married couple here, we got to start with the gospel. Because the principles of the gospel are not going to work unless the gospel is first received. Amen? These are principles. These are outliers. These are what happens whenever you do get saved. The gospel has an effect upon your life. And this is why these principles that I'm trying to outline for you tonight don't make sense to the world. Because they're not saved. And we shouldn't think that it will. It's not going to. But children obey their parents. A child ought to obey their parents in all things. Children, this is your duty to obey as you're told from your parents. And this is well-pleasing. Did you notice that too? He said this is a well-pleasing, this is pleases God. Do as you're told. This would include several factors. Listening uh, to clearly to instructions. Listening clearly to instructions. Doing exactly as you're told. Follow them in the way that you're told to do them. Don't leave things out, children. Ask for clarification if you don't understand. Listen. Do what you're told immediately. And such will produce a great sweetness in the home. There's a sweet aroma in the air when there's obedient children. There's a great, there's a great home there when there's obedient children. And you all as parents know that whenever there's peace in the home, when there's obedience in the home, there's a great sweetness in the air. There's a great, uh, there's a great peace in your hearts when your children are being obedient. It's a blessed thing. That's a blessed thing. And so he continues. Remember, all of this is pointing to who? It's all pointing to Jesus. That's what it's all pointing to. Why do wives submit? Why do, why do husbands love? Why do children obey? Because of Jesus. Because Jesus is preeminent. Because I want to please God. I want to please Christ. Do you children want to please Jesus? Do you husbands want to please the Lord? Do you wives want to please the Lord? Do you mothers, do you fathers want to please God? Then do what God says for you to do. And it will please Him. And you'll place Him preeminent. He says, fathers, nourish. Fathers, nourish. And I get that from the book of Ephesians uh, in chapter number 6. And you can turn there for just one moment in Ephesians chapter number 6 and verse number 4. Look what it says here in Ephesians 6. He says now here, he says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Fathers ought to nourish their children. They ought to cherish them. They ought to listen to them. Hold them, help them, foster their gifts, encourage their obedience. You're not a tyrant or a dictator to the right to your wife or to your children. You're not the master Christ is your master, and God has given you the place of the head. Now treat that with great reverence and honor. 
children of Christian parents have a right. You say they have rights? Yes, they have a right uh, that children of Christian parents that grow up in a Christian home, they have a right to grow up in a Christian home with Christian values, with Christian language. They have a right to have and hear their parents pray for them. Children have a right, of Christian parents have a right for their parents to guide them in all truth and godliness and teach them from the word of God and to show them and to warn them of the evils that they will face from God's word. They have those rights because you have been selected and chosen to be a Christian parent. A Christian parent. We as fathers specifically have been given the task of being head of our homes and we need to see that our children obey their moms. And listen to them. And discipline them accordingly in love. But let not one parent. Mom or dad. Mom or dad. You say are any instructions given to moms? Not in this particular place here. But it does tell us over in the book of Titus chapter number 2. That, that, uh, that mothers ought to love their own children. Isn't it interesting that the Bible has to tell us that women ought to love their children? Why would you think that would be? Is because just a few pages later it tells us this is that there will be a come a time when people will lose natural affections. Natural affections. It's only natural that a mom love her children. It's only natural. And so when you see that begin to escape our society and escape this world around us, then you can just go ahead and put it down that we're living. In worldly times, the natural affection is going away. And so moms love your children. We could get into that, but, but let not one mom or dad, and I raise this up here before we move on to the workplace, but let not one mom or dad here this evening ever think that we will ever raise subordinate, obedient children as long as parents are insubordinate to the authorities that are over them. Whether that's your employer, your pastor, a cop, a judge, or your, our wife's own husband. For too often, rebels produce rebels. Rebels produce rebels. And how we all have seen that. We wonder, why did that child go astray? Why did that not listen to anybody? Because mom and dad don't listen to anybody. Because mom and dad have no, have no subordination about themselves. Mom and dad have no reverence to themselves. They don't fear God. They don't reverence God. They don't reverence their employer. They don't submit to anybody. They're not going to submit to anybody. And they're not going to listen to anybody. And then they wonder why their children don't listen to them. Well, they're looking at you. That's why. We move from the home to the workplace. And we move quickly on here to the workplace. And here we hear, here we see in verse number 22, it says, Servants obey in all things, and your masters according, your masters according to the flesh. Now let's just be real honest here. He's not just talking about the King James Bible here. It says it, I think, very uh, kindly by using the word servant here. It's actually the word slave. We're talking about slaves here. We're dealing with slavery. I know. It seems shocking to some, but yes, this is what he's dealing with. And when you've got 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire, 
you're going to have some slaves in the Christian church. <laughs> 60 million slaves. Slavery was something that was well accepted within the Roman Empire. And you say, well, why doesn't the Bible deal with slavery? Why doesn't Paul call for the abolition of slavery? Well, look throughout your scriptures. Look, search the Bible. The Bible is never attacking social issues. When Jesus has brought a coin from Caesar and he is there to, there, there to say, what is your stance on taxes? What is it? He said, let me see a coin. Whose superscription is on that? I said, Caesar's. He said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and unto God what is God's. What does he mean? He says, the image on that coin is Caesar's. Give it to him. He says, what's on your image? What's on you? The image of God. Give yourself to God. You see, Jesus and the, the apostles, they never attacked, they never went after social issues. What was their main objective? Preach the gospel. Because when you preach the gospel, what happens? Over time, you get nations like the country of England that abolish slavery. That's what. And in reality, and I don't mean to... I don't mean to jump on a social issue, but let's just jump on one social issue that's very big in our society today, and that is abortion. And if you really want to see abortion things change, then it won't be pushed through through legislation because people are still going to get an abortion no matter what, okay? They're going to find a way to get an abortion. But the greatest way to affect social change is to see people get saved. You see people get saved? And guess what happens? Their lives change. Their social behavior changes. That was the problem with the prohibition movement. There was a lot of good preachers in that thing, and I think there was a lot of good thoughts with that. And I think there were, I, I hate alcohol, and I think it, I, I wouldn't be opposed. If there, was a, if there was a ballot today, and they said, come down here and vote against it, I'd put my name on it. I'd say yes. But the problem was this. With prohibition was this, is that there was so much emphasis that if we'll just legislate it and get rid of it, then we won't have a problem anymore. But they failed to remember there is still a sinful heart of mankind. A big sinful heart of mankind. And people, well, people love their booze, Right? Servants should serve. Servants should serve. And this would be a very, no doubt, a touchy subject even in their day. No doubt they had people that were slaves that had hard taskmasters. And so Paul deals with this subject here. And how they ought to live in this condition. He tells them to obey in all things. Just like the children were, they were to do the same. The slaves were admonished, they were to live and to obey as unto the Lord, as men, as he says, not with eye service, as men pleasers and singleness of heart, fearing God. He says, you ought to fear God in this thing, you ought to obey and listen just as if God was telling you what to do. Just as if God was standing over your shoulder watching your every move. He said, you ought to fear God. And may I add that though this reference is dealing particularly in, in most definitely with slavery, I think that all of us could draw very practical applications from what we're saying right here and put it right into the employer-employee relationship. That you don't serve your employer 
out of a reason because you want to be a men pleaser or you want people to see you or you want people to notice you or say, oh, wow, what a great person that is. But rather you do and you serve and you help and you work because you are doing it out of the fear of God and singleness of heart to God as if you're working for God. That's what we're doing it for. I like what one carpenter said whenever somebody asked him, uh, was asked by a friend of his. He said, why, uh, why do you trouble so much to finish off the judge's bench so carefully? His reply was very candid and, I, and very short. He said, I can't do otherwise. Besides, I may have to sit on it one of these days. And you never know. Hey, you might have to be the one that is being served one day. And so serve now. Be a blessing now. This service is not out of, done out of drudgery or of necessity, but because the Lord has employed you to his service. And in understanding that you one day will stand before God and re- maybe receive a reward. He was talking to slaves. Now go back to this slave analogy here. That he's, this slave, uh, thing, this slave uh, picture that he's putting out in front of him. And he says this. He says, you slaves might not be getting your just reward now. For what you're doing and all the backbreaking labor that you're putting into serving this master. But if you'll do it for God and live for God and do as God would, and as if you were doing it for God, he says, one day God will reward you for working hard. Isn't that a blessing? Even if you don't get paid good, God will reward you for that. But if you don't, remember also, he says in verse number 25, he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Slave, master, husband, wife, it doesn't matter. And then finally, he tells the masters to give. Now, here is an unknown concept in the Roman world, too. In the Roman world, slaves were treated as property, not things, not as human beings. And so here, God, we already see God is trying to make some kind of social change by actually telling the masters, you ought to pay your slaves a righteous and good salary. What? They're slaves, they're property, I can do with it whatever I want to. No, you're a Christian, you can't. Things have changed. You're a believer in Christ. That's what happens. When you get saved, things change, amen? Wives learn to submit, husbands learn to love, children learn to obey, masters learn to give. That's just what happens. Masters give, he says. Unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. They're real persons. Treat them right. Do them good. And But remember, you've got a master in heaven that's watching you, he tells the masters. And if you're an employer, may I imply this to you tonight, is that if you are having somebody under you, maybe you just have somebody that mows your yard. Or maybe you have somebody that just uh, takes care of something at your house. Make sure you do them right. There's nothing, there would be nothing more wrong for us as believers if perhaps somebody said, well, this is the bill, and let's say it was just $100, and you had $100 in your wallet, and you said, uh, I'll pay you later. That's wrong. If you've got it by you, and it's time to pay, you pay. That's only what's right. That's only what's good. That's only what's fair. That's only what's Christian. And that's what lifts Christ up, and that's what makes you preeminent. You know, in the plumbing world, you talk to a lot of plumbers, and this is sad. 
But in the plumbing world that I know of, and I know of several of them, you know one of the people that plumbers hate to work for? They hate working for churches. They hate it. Because churches don't pay. Churches always trying to steal and get a deal. And I've even had a personal experience like that myself. Not with this church, somebody else. And that right there, my friend, is not putting Christ preeminent. Not putting him preeminent at all. Masters, give. So what does this all point to? It all points back to Jesus. The preeminence of Christ. Verse 17 said, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Wives, submit yourselves as the church submits itself to Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Children, obey your parents as Christ obeyed his father. Fathers, nourish and nurture your children just as your heavenly father nurtures and, and, and nurtures and cherishes you. Servants, serve even as Christ became a servant for our sakes. And masters, give even as your master Jesus Christ has given you the free gift of salvation. Turn your Bibles over to the book of Matthew 23. In verse number 8, I'll close with this tonight. Jesus in a speech to the Pharisees, Jesus in a speech to the Pharisees over, he gives a speech to them over what one is called. What one is called. And he essentially rebukes them and tells them not to be so concerned about what you are called. You're all concerned about being called rabbi. And Father, and Master. And his point is very simple. He makes it twice, in fact. He says, there's even one that is your Master, and that is even Christ. And let us read that here in verse number 7. He says in Matthew 23, in verse number 7, he says, uh, excuse me, verse number 6, let's just go back up a little bit. And they loved the uppermost rooms at the feast. And the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called one of men rabbi and rabbi. He says, but be ye not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all, your, and all ye are brethren. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Too often, Jesus' point here is this, that too often we are concerned about what people call us. We're so concerned about titles and what that means to us and how our rights are affected by such titles like rabbi and master and all of these kinds of things. And sometimes we don't want to be called slave, and we don't want to be called necessarily wife or husband or child. And we want this title, and we want that title, we want people to respect us and to call us what we want. And we want authority so many times. And we want our rights. But in reality, we that are saved only have one master. And that is Christ. And what I've read to you tonight in Colossians 3.17 to chapter 4 and verse number 1 are the instructions of Jesus. 
They are instructions of the Word of God. We have to make a determination in our own hearts and minds tonight. Will we follow what Jesus says and make him preeminent in our homes and our workplaces? Or will we allow our 21st century thinking of our rights to determine what we do? Will we live out our Christian life at our place of work and in our homes? Determining to make Christ preeminent? If we do not, then as he says, back to the book of Colossians, chapter number 3, in verse number 25, he tells them, If you will not, then he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. There is no respect of person. But if we will tonight learn to grow in our love for one another and our love for Christ and putting him preeminent both at home and at work, then he tells us plainly, and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not of men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance for ye serve the Lord Jesus Christ. May in all these things, may we serve the Lord heartily out of our hearts, not with hopes that people will see what we do, but only in hopes that Christ will see what we do. Because we serve him. We have one master. For, there is, for one is your master, even Christ. May he be it.